are now listening to. Ben Bloodworth says Big Cat Bryant didn't get drafted. I took some petty delight from that. And by the look of Ike's and B-Will's faces, you're not alone in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, guys. Can we go down that? Can we go down this road for a second? Yes, please. Let's this, 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 this was the, this was the take, lead take in. The wheel. You, you yeah. got it. I, I want to, no, actually, I'm going to let Ike lead on this one, but I oh, just okay. wanna, I'll just make sure we address this. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> hold, on, just, hold, on, you know, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Get your petty is at eight. I wanted a little bit of a nine. Get to nine, yeah, yeah. I mean, get I to just, level I, nine, and then mm, no, get to a nine. And well, then I just you, want, I just want to ask those of you watching if if we're just keeping score, we're just keeping score of the players that left Auburn when Gus left Auburn. How many of those guys got drafted yesterday or over the weekend? Does anybody have a count? The key word is when Gus left. Yes. Does anybody have a count on how many of those guys got drafted? I'm going to give you a big hint. It's less than one. (laughs) So a half of a guy got drafted? Yeah, I I mean, just none of them. Potentially. None of them got drafted. Not a single one of them. You know why? Do you know why that is? Because they weren't that good. They weren't. Let's be clear. They weren't. I don't even. I don't even know if any of them signed undrafted free agent deals. One of them did. One of them. Did. Which one? Which one signed? Your a deal? fave. Your fave. The Big cat leader. Did? Yeah, he signed. A, did he? he? Signed a, yeah. Well, good. Good for him. Good for he him. He did. He did. But I just, I just don't, I don't, I don't understand. Like, and, and this is what I was trying to say a long time ago when they started leaving. I was like, these guys aren't that. They, they just okay. They're okay players. They're good for depth, but like, right. they're not these monumental. Like, oh my god, we lost such and such. No, <laughs> no, no. They were just okay. So if we want to walk the path of. Who is to blame? If we want, if you want to take the low-hanging fruit of blame for the lack of draft capital that came out of Auburn last year, mm. there is really one good place where you could look. That's true. I don't even want to mention it. I'm sure you guys can follow my train of thought here. The, I'm just the, saying. The town where Mickey lives. I'm just saying that this was... It was headed in this direction for a while. Yeah, it sure was. And so trying to throw that in the lap of the new guy is silly at best. It's ridiculous at most. Like, it's like insane to even take that. I've already talked about the mental gymnastics. But listen, the only other player that is a former Auburn player that got drafted yesterday was a guy who couldn't sniff the field while he was at Auburn. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I'll let somebody else talk, because I want yeah. somebody to make sense of that yeah. for me and then tell me why letting go of the previous coach doesn't make sense. Somebody do that for me. I'm, I'm going to stop talking about that, but I want y'all to think about that for like 30 seconds and then tell me how I was so off base in saying it was time to make a change. Go ahead. Yeah, I just, I'm with you. At the end of the day, none of those dudes that left and went other places got drafted. 
or have had much on-field success since they left, if any at all. They've all pretty much disappeared into oblivion. If these guys all of so, them. Every last yeah. one of them. Yeah, so if these guys were so great. You know, and, and that's not me. I, I, I hope that the guys that leave this program find success elsewhere. Yeah. yeah. Elijah Canyon, Kobe Hudson. I hope these guys find a place that fits. Right. I really do. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, I just think if you're going to evaluate draft results, you have to look at all the factors contributing. There are so many contributing factors to draft results. And there's a lot of information out there and any take that is put out there without taking into account the many nuances and intricacies of what it means to be an NFL draft pick is short-sighted. That's it. It's a whole body of work, and there's enough information out there for somebody to reasonably deduce why we had the class that we had. And I will say, I looked up, because I remember we talked about it preseason when Big Cat made his snide remarks. So, coming into the NFL draft, I looked up Big Cat Bryant's draft profile. They had him going at like fourth or fifth round, the one I found, the profile I found. I was like, they said, yeah, staunch defender in the run. I said, oh, no, you didn't watch this. <laughs> no, dude, you, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, you, don't, you don't know anything. Because, <laughs> uh, 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 I mean, we talked about what Wait, that, And Brown, that was the best one you found. The only the, one, not the that's best. That's the first one I found. I stopped looking. By I was the like, fall. See, I don't know. By no, the fall. It's, pro- it's probably somebody in Orlando wrote that. Maybe. But we talked <laughs> about what it had to be like playing, what Derrick Brown and Marlon Davidson meant. Not for the defensive, just for the defensive line on that 2019 defense, but for the entire defense on the 2019 defense. And we saw immediately, you take those two guys away, and our 2020 defense was very mediocre. And I don't want to use any harsher words than that. How do you play on the same line as a guy that dominant? I should absorb three sacks just playing with Derrick Brown. If I stood still when the ball was snapped, Derrick Brown chasing the quarterback should run the quarterback into me and he hit the ground. I get to say at least three times a season. He came up with, I don't remember the numbers because I honestly don't look at big cat numbers. The most underwhelming four year career I've seen from anybody who would talk anything about the team that he left. I don't want to say I'm pleased that he went undrafted. I will ask him though, was it worth it? Did you find what you were looking for? I hope so. Is you happy? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of the Gamora meme from from the the Avengers. What did it cost you? (laughs) Everything. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? It probably didn't cost him nothing. He won't go get drafted uh, if he stayed. He just wasn't great. He probably would have been one of the guys who was at odds with the coaching staff and didn't play a lot. He wouldn't have played. Yeah. Yeah. He wouldn't have played. Yeah. Guys, my Twitter is on fire right now. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Listen, this draft, this, this is such an important conversation about setting fan expectations. I just, I can't stress enough, right? We have to, as a fan base, get to a place where we are reasonable in our expectations and not unreasonably impatient with the progress that it takes toward building a winning program. Right. I think this staff can do it. I'm not sure if they will do it. Because there are a lot of mitigating circumstances. Everybody coaches in a league with Nick Saban and the SEC. Yeah. <laughs> so that's 
probably factor number one affecting your success. There's a guy who's winning a lot. And it's not just Auburn that has to contend with him because he's in-state for us. It's everybody. Indeed. Right? Hide your kids. Hide your wife. You know, <laughs> Nick Saban is creeping in the night. Like, he's, he's good. And it's not everybody else's fault that Alabama lucked into the greatest coach of all time. They lucked into it. They, yeah, they, they, they lucked 100%. into the greatest program builder of all time. Because they should have uh, gotten Rich Rodriguez, but whatever. Yeah, right. Man, that don't you hate so that? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, the what if I that's the Marvel what if. That's the Marvel what if, if I went. They Disney, had the contract that written episode up. of what if. And he said, nah, <laughs> I'll have a better career going elsewhere. Yeah, right. Um, and, wrong, I mean, just as lucky as we were to get Bruce Pearl. Yes. Timing and circumstance landed us with Bruce Pearl. So... Uh, I just think at the end of the day, we're talking about these kids that have gone other places. And, you know, my energy for the kids is I, I want all of them to succeed. Yeah. No matter where they go. I want to see all these kids have a chance to fulfill their dreams. And I, where I do kind of agree is that a lot of onus should be put on the millionaires who are tasked with developing them in a way that they have a chance to take advantage of that. And achieve their dreams. So uh, we're not, this is, if anybody is reading this as us absolving Brian Harson of his staff of any responsibility when it comes to talent and eval and uh, development, that's not what this is. I'm just saying we're going to wait and see because it's too early. Like yeah. getting all bent out of shape about recruiting results at this point is pointless. It is right, like no more than I would blame Gus Malzahn for the recruiting results at UCF this year. None. Right. Zero. Give him right. no energy for that because he just got there. Right. 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 Now we turned in a top 20 recruiting class. That's not the best we ever had, but let's not act like that's so far off. Right. Top 10s wasn't doing much for us. So, hey. Yeah. If they're better at actually evaluating talent, that 18 rank, 18th rank class might actually fit better. And produce better results because how many of those guys in those top 10 recruiting classes finished at Auburn? Over half of them transferred. Right. Right. We so ran the in numbers. reality, we weren't getting top, top 10, 10 recruiting, recruiting classes. classes. I mean, it was, no. but it, it was fool's goal. It was fool's goal it because was. the development was not in place. Right. right. So we, we settled for winning the headlines on National Signing Day. Oh, Auburn had a top 10 class, but we were finishing outside of the top 10 consistently when the season ended. Mm -hmm. Or go back and look at the draft classes before. Yeah, we had three, four guys a year get drafted. How many of those guys went on to have successful NFL careers? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's not like, you know, so it's easy to say, oh, they got six guys drafted. Okay, how many of them busted out of the NFL within the first two years? <laughs> Or never saw the field, or is a perennial practice squad player. Yeah, I just think that all that stuff deserves a look if you're going to hold this staff accountable for this year's results. Yeah, right. You got to look at all the results ever, see how they came in, how they performed while they were here, how they finished, and how they performed at the next level, if at all. Right, right. Just looking at draft numbers is so short-sighted, man. Like. <laughs> Right. Okay, Gus got three to four guys a year drafted. I would Dude. probably say the Schwartz-Williams uh, 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 draft was one of the most disappointing ever. 
The question is not so much because yes, Gus had a lot of guys, and I saw I saw that was mentioned on Blackaby's podcast that you did, Mike. But you have to ask who got drafted and where they got drafted, right? Because there were a lot of guys on the offensive side of the ball that got drafted for sure, but look where they got drafted. Some of those guys should have been drafted a lot higher given their ceiling and talent level coming into Auburn. Right. So right. getting drafted, that's great. But there, when you look at what's the receiver? Uh, I think he was at the Giants for a minute. Slayton. 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 You telling me he should have got drafted where he was, given what he ended up doing in the league? Right. Right. He didn't have a great season last year. But yeah, yeah. Still. But listen, but, but you understand, though, that based on on the field results. I mean, that guy, had, he was highly underutilized when he was at Auburn. That's my yes. point. Yeah. <laughs> he was so underutilized and underdeveloped. Somebody in the fifth round, I think it was, yeah. saw him and said, you know what? We could make a football player out of this guy. All right. He could have been a much more productive player at Auburn. It was a miracle he got drafted. <laughs> And probably a credit to his own hard work. Right. Right. His own right. talent. So now on, the, on the defensive side of the ball, we were a factory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but most <laughs> of the guys drafted were defensive guys anyway. We were a factory right. on that. And that's right. why we're recruiting well today because of that. Yeah, on defense. <laughs> on defense. Yeah. We were so, a factory on that side of the ball. Uh, so who and where they went... Is 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 the nuance to that point? But yeah, whatever. it's just not time to panic. It's not time to panic, and I am maybe a little sensitive about um, slinging mud at a staff that we're hoping can turn it around, because it's making you know the public perception, man. You know, it's making a lot of things just got taken the wrong way when we had all the drama this 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 off season. And this stuff feels like piling on to me for no reason. Blaming Brian Harson or assigning these draft results to, to him, making him responsible for it, feels like a reach. No, it's, it's, it's not. It doesn't feel like it is. It is a reach. That's a complete reach. Yeah. It, it is a temper tantrum because they thought that they were going to be rid of him when all the drama started. They really thought, oh, we're going to get Hugh Freeze. and It's going to be great. We didn't want him in the first place because he's not from here. And then they thought they were going to be rid of him because the fire was getting up hot enough and the pressure was building. And then he stuck his foot in the sand and said, no. And he reiterated that stance recently in an article, in an interview he had. No, I, was, I didn't do anything, so I wasn't going to go anywhere. I, I do wonder, B, that, that like Brian Harson has never had the warm and fuzzies for the media. No, he hasn't. He has not. As a matter of fact, when I met him, <laughs> when I met him, uh, his guy Brad Lorado said, "Hey, hey, coach, this is Mike Gittens. and he gave me the smirkiest of smirks because I know he remembers my name from the press conferences. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, when I had asked him about uh, Bo's ankle after the Mississippi State game, I don't think he liked that question. Uh, but we had we had a very good conversation after that, and I think he sensed." Once, you know, two or three minutes into the conversation, listen, I'm just straight up. I'm just, I'm just doing my job. I'm just asking questions that people want to know the answers to. Mm-hmm. And we've had a very good relationship with this administration since. So I just don't like, I mean, and, and, I mean, God, there's so much that I want to get into about how, you know, because we're, we're in this we're, weird in between where we're media, but we're not. 
we're fans, but we're not reporters, right? Like, we're just bringing you guys facts and opinions, but we're not claiming to be journalists. Right. And um, to get even get the access that we've gotten, it's work. It just didn't happen. Somebody just didn't say, hey, here's a bunch of access. Welcome to the press conferences, random YouTube channel. (laughs) (laughs) That didn't just happen. That's all relationship building that we did as a channel to even get the access that we got. And then after you get the access, you continue to cultivate those relationships so they will continue to give you more access. And I just wonder... If some folks are writing this stuff because they're bitter about access, they're not getting they're not getting handed to them. Do the work, man. Do the work. So when you write an article so devoid of of, of relative facts, I have to just wonder. I'm like, listen, is this inten- is this lazy or is this just intentionally misleading? Or is this clickbait? Because it's hard for me to believe that somebody who is paid to actually cover Auburn football could write something and leave out so many relevant facts to the conclusion of the article. If you had the relevant facts, you would probably end up with a completely different conclusion altogether. But that, right. that's that's not where you wanted to end or up. Or just not write an article. You don't actually have to say it. Like, th- there's nothing that makes you have to say... Like, I just don't... I don't understand the necessity of people, I have to give a take on something, right? Yeah, sometimes or, you could just leave it alone. if I'm going to give a take, it's going to be a terrible one. Mm-hmm. Like, like I just like with all of the access to all of these facts that exist out of here, you could at least be close to 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 a good take. Like, right. be close. It doesn't have to be perfect. Like, again, we disagree on uh, you know the people in the comments disagree on whether or not Stingley was drafted too high, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's a terrible take for me to say he's not the number three player to be like. I didn't say Derek Stingley Jr. is going to be a bust in the NFL. Yeah, That's a terrible take. Yeah. That's a terrible, there's nothing, there's no facts that lead you to that. It's a terrible take. So if you're doing that, then you just have some agenda against Derek Stingley. Mm -hmm. Because there's nothing that leads you to that conclusion other than, I want to make a wild hot take here because, listen, and if and I could substantiate that with, well, he's had injury history. I don't think that that's ever going to change. So when he gets to the NFL, he's not going to see the field. So he's not going to be worth that. Like I could reach and go there, but there's literally no reason to do that today. Right. Listen, why, if gonna, why if jump out the window? If you're going to cover something, cover it properly. <laughs> that's where I'm at. If you're going to cover it, cover it. If you're going to write about something, you know, write honestly, man, and do your do your due diligence. Or just, I, I just didn't see the due it, diligence it, in that in that take. I didn't or, see or, it. Or it just seems emotional. It just seems like an emotional man. rant like you that you a, just spilled onto a onto an article. Or that you have a personal vendetta against right. Brian Harson and his yeah. staff. Mm-hmm. That's 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 what it, it reeks of. I have yeah. some sort of personal vendetta, and I just don't understand the necessity of doing that. Like, just write it in, dear 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 diary. Brian Harson, <laughs> like I just like, right. come on, no, man! No, 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 but you still you ain't calling. Every once in a while, the the the, the public can take something that was intended therapy. innocently, completely out of context. Right? Oh, my whole thing is, is that if you write something, 
And then everybody who responds to it says, this is terrible. Buddy, you wrote a bad take. Or at the very least, you articulated it not very clearly. Yeah. Everybody misunderstands the point. The problem is not everybody else. Correct. Well, You articulated your point poorly. So if there was something else that we should have taken away from that, you need to write another article. And of course, you don't, writers don't have to bounce back against critics when they're preparing an article. So it's not going to get refined by opposing views on its way out the door. And that, that, of course, there's no checks and balances if you're writing an article. You're the only person covering a team for a newspaper. That's it. Who's going to argue with you about whether or not this was Brian Harson's fault? Nobody. You're going to write an article. It's going to go out the door. People are going to click it because they either agree with you or hate it. It's going to get clicks. And technically, you've done your job. So, you know, that's part of it, too. You know, the thing, the thing about that, though, that I will say is, is that I don't have a problem with saying that whether he likes it or not, these draft results will affect how people look at this program. That's fair. That's, that, that's, that's a fair take to say, like, hey, what I'm saying is there needs to be a clear distinction about what he's responsible for and what he's not. Right. right. So when you write something, you say it reflects poorly on Gus, it, re- it reflects poorly on Harson, it reflects... That's, that's, that's lazy writing to me. There is a huge distinction between how it reflects on Gus and how it reflects on Harson. Because it does not reflect on them the same. Right. Right. I didn't read that. So when I started hearing about it, when people were adding me, I was like, let me just go and read and see if there's some context that I'm missing here. And now I see why everybody's up in arms. If you intended something else, it was not made clear in that article. And everybody else is not the problem, pal. That's why, that's, that's why a lot of, of, of our fans or the fan base of any school, they don't trust national writers. You know, because when you go to ESPN, you know, again, those people aren't digging into the weeds of your program. They write these broad takes about things that they clearly haven't taken the time to research. It's just the story of the moment. So they got to write about it. We saw plenty of those articles when, when the Brian Harson scandal was going on. A lot of the national writers were just saying, oh, this about the, I mean, they were missing so many relevant facts. So fans expect to turn to their beat for a lot of what's missing. Those are the people close. Those are the people who are supposed to be able to get in the room, ask the questions and get the facts. That's all I'm saying. So, you know, and I get tired of people taking a few poorly worded tweets by some fans on Twitter and making that the representation of how Auburn fans feel about something. Which is also what happened here as well, too. A couple fans said, I'm fine with this year's results. And what they were really trying to say is, I'm not panicking. Right. That's not settling for mediocrity. That's just saying, hey, listen, I mean, it is what it is. Listen, Talk to me a, next year. It's, it's, a, it's a renovation. Anytime you renovate, you have to take out old stuff, mm-hmm. and it's going to look like things are all over the place and chaotic at one point. Yep. But it's not the end result. It's not where we're going. Yeah. yeah. So Boy, we, have some, we have some content coming for you guys. I can't wait. <laughs> like, we have hella content coming uh, between now and August that will just either clarify or put to bed a lot of fan myths that we see on social media. Uh, I'm really excited to bring you guys that content. 
before we get into the next topic. Uh, Porter Osborne Jr. says, one of these guys <laughs> on here said, I don't even know if you're still listening, Porter, but one of these guys on here said last year that Kirby was not a good coach. Ready to eat some crow? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> and I will tell you exactly why. Listen to me, man. My boy Porter. So listen. <laughs> I want you to imagine that you're a homeowner and there's a tree that's maybe about 10 feet from your front door. All right. Weather's crazy. Everybody's like, man, we need to get rid of these trees. Tornadoes are happening all the time, man. A really bad thunderstorm, lightning strike, anything could happen. So you are a homeowner and your neighbor is a homeowner. And you both have trees approximately the same distance from your door. Okay. Your neighbor pays $3,000 to pay a service, all right, to come and bring the big tractor machine with the grapple thing that wraps the trees and clips it and carries it and stacks it on the back and goes away. But what you have is a handsaw. And I'm going to say, hey, Porter, you're going to take that handsaw and cut down that tree. And the other guy is going to say, I'm going to take this $3,000. I'm going to rent that service. And what everybody seems to do is say, hey, well, Kirby Smart didn't get that tree down the first five times he tried, even though he had $3,000 a year to give it a shot. And what we are saying, not necessarily here at AU with the handsaw, but at adjacent programs is, yeah, you get a pickaxe, you get a string, you get a rubber band, but the end result is the tree should be down. What you have to work with to get the job done is critical to the context of how good you are at doing your job. I do not give Kirby Smart credit for a task that he had the resources, he had the players, and he had the opportunity to get done at least three years before this past year. I do not. This should be the norm. He just had drafted the best defensive draft for a team ever, arguably one of the best defenses in college football ever. He could have made one different decision at quarterback in 2017 and won this thing four years ago. No, I am not eating crow. If I give you way better tools than the dude next to you, that doesn't make you a better coach. That means you're really kind of a mediocre coach. There's no way you should be having the best defense in the country, top five, year after year after year, and still make the, the, the decisions for your <coughs> offense that has everybody looking like they're playing in 1985. That should not be happening. That should not be happening. It is a waste of talent and resources. It's just that you're, he's one of the few coaches and programs that has such an abundance of it. Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama. That's it. They are far and away, way ahead of everybody else. And now Texas A&M joins that group, and I can't wait. <laughs> but, I cannot But he wait. gets credit for getting that talent in the door, does he not? <laughs> No, because historically, Georgia always recruited that well. No, I'll take that back. They went up a little bit. Not as well. I want you to, I want you to <laughs> think about the type of players that they were, were recruiting, They were recruiting well, but not they were. as well. They were always out-recruiting us. Let's say that. They were always top five, top eight. Yeah, they're Rick. always beating us, too. So <laughs> Right. Rick, yeah. So, and, and so to year. that extent, what you see is the school has a lot to do with the talent that is. And people, people give the coach too much credit. There are cases where the coach 
makes a bigger difference than just what the school's foundational ability to recruit is. We've seen Nick Saban do that at Alabama. They were all right before Nick Saban got there. They got some defensive guys that made it to the league and had long careers and tight ends and fullbacks. Yeah, they did. But when you come in, you see the development and you see the winning that increases your ability to recruit and it blows up. All right. When did did Kirby Smart get to Georgia? 2016. 2016? Okay, Mm -hmm. so in the years before he got there, 2013, 2014, 2015, Georgia had the 12th ranked recruiting class. Mm -hmm. Uh, 2014, he had the 8th ranked recruiting class. Mm -hmm. 2015, he had the sixth-ranked recru- recruiting class. Mm-hmm. At 2016, he had the sixth-ranked recruiting class. After that, which is really what you can start to attribute to him because he got there in 2016, right? Mm-hmm. So 2017, we, we love facts at the War Report. Uh, he got, had the third-ranked recruiting class. Mm-hmm. So, so that's his class. Uh, he had the first-ranked recruiting class in 2018. He had the second in 2019. I don't know, bro. <laughs> I'm not 20- saying the, the recruiting didn't improve. I, what I'm asking you yeah, is you just said. It was said, number one in 2020. <laughs> you just listed four years coming in before yeah. Kirby got there where they were top 10, three out of four years. They were eight to six. Okay. Right. Three so out of four he, he years, landed one or two additional five and they, stars. And they were like three right. to one in the years following so yeah, again, he, he landed one or two additional five-star players after right. he got there right. so what so i'm different. asking you is let me ask you this question in 2017 when they were playing for a national championship jake Fromm was was mid he was absolute mid all right different decisions and different coaching philosophy on the offensive side of the ball gives you the offensive output to win a championship do you agree or disagree with that in 2017 yes i'm trying to recall that season the, cha- the championship that they lost to alabama that was a great game, too. It was. Uh, and most of those players were senior, were recruited before Kirby got there. But continue. They went to, they went, that game went to overtime. That was the yeah. one, two or three, three yeah. game mm-hmm. winning touchdown pass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. See, it's hard for me to, to look at that season and really find fault. Like, they got there, they played a, a very competitive game, and they lost in overtime. Like, in his they, second year on the job. The offense was always the problem. It's not that Kirby's philosophy ever changed. He just doubled down on what his his program was. Listen, defense, defense, more defense. This much offense, we'll get it done. Yeah. And it I, became possible this year because the defense was outrageous. Yeah, to, to Ike's point, um, they were before Kirby, they were bringing in about two, two five stars a year. Mm-hmm. After Kirby got there, they were bringing in four to six a year. Mm-hmm. So the difference was about Four to five players, four to uh, four to uh, three to four players that they were bringing. Yeah, in I suppose their, their, their overall average recruiting ranking was higher because he had more five stars and he had three stars. Right, like it's just yeah. it, they shifted the balance of what they were able. But again, that's because Kirby Smart had been at Bama all of those years. He had the reputation as a great defensive coach. Yeah. Great defensive players are going to want to go play over there. Yeah. Yeah. But he's landed two number one classes since he's mm-hmm. been there. Right. A number two class and a number three class and a number four class. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I would say that recruiting, based on average star count and you know the the five stars that are supposed to be game breakers. Now I'd love to go back and dive deep into how many of those five stars actually finished at Georgia or went on to the league from Georgia. But you know, I mean, to to B's point, 
you don't have to be as good. Like, they can afford more busts because they just bring in more high-rated talent. Yeah. Right? And I, I just think that the coach gets credit for bringing in the talent and convincing kids to continuously come there so that he can be a mediocre on-the-field coach and still have a shot at a championship. I take that result at Auburn right now. Right. And you know what? That's a better way to, to describe it. On the field coach. Yeah. X's and O's. What you choose your philosophies to be on either side of the ball. Yeah. If I think if you give, if there's a way to give every coach the exact same talent, that's how you determine who the best coach is. But, but Brian, that's you don't, who do you think is a good on the field coach? Honestly, I've never heard you say, hey, listen, this <laughs> guy's a great on the field coach. You think Nick Saban sucks? You I think, think Kirby I sucks? Think, honestly, I think all the guys that are winning sucks. It's almost impossible <laughs> to make that determination in college because in college it's so there's so much. You like Belichick? I like Bill Belichick. You know why? Because the I'm going to give you the greatest coach of all time. Yes, but here's why he's the greatest coach of all time. Okay. You're not going to get ten times better players than the guy next to you that you have to play every year. You're not going to be able to outspend the next guy in recruiting budget. You're not going to have more championships to show somebody and that be a reason that they go. I don't think people go to the Patriots because they have championships. They go because they know that Bill Belichick is a winning coach, but there are programs that kind of ride on their history to bring people in. I don't think that really matters for the If anything, they've been recruited against negatively. The Patriots have in free agency because people say it's not fun to play for Bill Belichick. You don't, Yet but they don't somehow, pay. They don't pay. No, the, the play you're talking about, they don't pay. The, the Patriots notoriously are, are cheap. And that's that's another thing. His evaluation of talent has proven to be better than his peers for, what, 20 years now? I'm going to look at the exact same pool that you are and have access to the exact same players. There is no player that is outside of my reach that you have a better chance of getting than me. And I am going to put more championships out there than anybody with the same confined limitations. In college, there are no limitations in so many different areas. It's almost impossible to objectively evaluate best coach. I can give you best program builder, but not best coach in college. It's, it's almost look, impossible. Let's 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 move this along, guys. We could stay there all day. Stuart Donald. Stuart Donald says, "Appreciate you, man. Can we call draft predictions what they are? Clickbait. If the prognosticate, prognosticators in the media knew what they were doing, they'd be on staff in the NFL." There are only a few tr sources that I trust when it comes to draft evaluations because they actually put the resources into the, all the film study and the stat analysis and the things that it takes to properly project a draft pick while still leaving room for the fact that teams can go a different direction based on none of that. Okay. Right, there's so much nuance to draft picks uh, and those teams that make those picks get it wrong like every year. How often do we hear, like, who's going to be the number one overall pick? As a matter of fact, when um, Ronnie and Cadillac got drafted, I remember being a part of a conversation that those two had in the athletic department before that draft. And they were joking with each other about, hey, man, don't let your agent get you a bad deal if you get drafted before me. Because, like, whatever deal the agent makes for the number one uh, 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 player at that position, nobody's going to get a deal worth more than that. Right. It sets the market. Yeah. And I really believe that when you're looking at a, a, a talent evaluation when it comes to the draft, it's just, you know, a lot of folks, all we heard for four years was Cadillac, Cadillac, Cadillac. And then Ronnie Brown was the second pick in that 2004 draft or 2005 draft. Yeah. You know, the guy who was technically the backup 
went higher and had the longer career. Cadillac, if anybody remembers that 2005 season, he had the most rushing yards for any rookie through four games in the history of the NFL. Rookie of the year. Offensive rookie yeah. of the year. Yeah. If we had Tampa Bay, he was tearing it up but could not stay healthy. Yeah. 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 Injuries killed his career uh, at the next level. Uh, and Ronnie, probably, you know, he didn't get as much burn at first, but he signed bigger contracts. <laughs> oh, he was to do everything. Matter of fact, when the Dolphins unveiled the Wildcat and the pros mm-hmm. and beat the Patriots and shocked the Patriots that time, I remember Five Ronnie touchdowns Brown. in one game. I remember Kill I had him on my fantasy yeah. team when he did it. <laughs> yeah. He threw a touchdown pass in that game. And I, and, I, and I like how Borges used him in that year, which I think really helped him because we saw we saw him do everything just about. As a mm-hmm. receiver, he was lining up all over the place, and so that helped him, I think, at the next level. Yeah. Do you, does anybody remember uh, Larry Johnson, the yeah. running back? Right. Yeah. I think he went to, yeah, I think he went to Kansas City. Kansas City. Yeah. Kansas City. Yeah. yeah. Right. So before, in bold preparation for that game, uh, I forgot what number he was on co- in college. I think it was like 20 or something like that. Um, they put a number 20 jersey on the scout team running backs because he had run for 2,000 yards that season in 2003. And I remember our D-line coach just screaming out, Larry John, number 20, number 2,000 yards. What you going to let him do to you? And uh, Larry Johnson ran for like 70-something yards in that Orange Bowl. I'll never forget this. And Ronnie had the most iconic Auburn moment. I think like one of the best Auburn running back moments ever where he got to the end zone, broke a dude down with the shuck, and then went over him (laughs) into the end zone. It was smooth. It was just like, in my head, I was just thinking, did he know he was going to do that before he did it? Or like, it's kind of like when Vince Carter jumped over that dude's head in the Olympics, and you're just thinking... Did he know he was going to do that? He just playing. He's like, all right, here's, I'm going to go this way, this way, and I'm going to jump straight over this guy's head. Or like how instinctive. At that point, I had realized how good Ronnie Brown was. Mm-hmm. I was just like, wow. Like, you know, I know this guy had talent, but it, it dawned on me, this guy might actually be better than Cadillac. Yeah. You know? Now, famously, after, you know, that Iron Bowl before, we all thought Trey Smith was the next guy coming. <laughs> <laughs> right, oh, we had some guys on that team. I just think maybe you're I, looking. I, I, at... I never thought Trey. I didn't think of either. <laughs> I thought that offensive line was just good. That's all it was. <laughs> I think 126 yards he ran for in that Iron Bowl. Yeah, but like, I mean, it was an amazing performance. But I, yeah, yeah. I mean, nobody I, thought I we thought would that, win. And then we got Kenny Irons. I was like, oh man, <laughs> he put up 200. He put up 200 that, on that's LSU. Probably one of the most LSU. iconic moments. He called it on TV yeah, too. He called it. He yeah. called it. How how often does that happen, man? That's like next year. This we come in Iron Bowl tank coming in on the on the uh, the line when we go into the stadium. He was like, "I'm finna put up 200 on the ground on Bama and doing it." That mm. is wild. We and lost he, that game, didn't and we? We lost that game. Missed six yeah. kicks in Tuberville. Yeah. Buried oh, the that was in the, the post game. That was that, yeah. was that game. This game. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Let's oh, move through here because we do have another topic, guys. Uh, Chalmers Wright says. Hopefully the coach gets three years so we can see any of his draft stock. Hopefully yeah, right. so. Hopefully yeah, that's so. A, that's that's, that's pretty much the point you, we, you were making earlier for sure. Yeah. Uh, Jordan Bowens, uh, out of your said NFL sometimes loves measurables more than production. Wasn't only just Auburn that had good players slide down. And this is the point I was trying to allude to mm-hmm. as well in the question or go undrafted. The measurables, that's, what, that's basically what sent Roger McCreary to the second round. Because mm-hmm. to Ike's point on the last live, on tape, none of that was a factor. 
He right. balled. He balled. Yeah. So but, the, the but measurables. But who your coach is does not affect your measurables. Right. Unless Brian Harson can grow his arms a couple of inches. <laughs> right. Uh, He's not going to make you two inches tall. He got like some sort of arm stretching machine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Don't go gadget arms. <laughs> you know what, right, though? Guys. The NFL is so bad at, at draft, though. Like, that's something that has that stood out to anyone. If I go through the first 20 picks of each round each year, I'm going to, you're not in the league no because more. You're not in the league no more. What Jordan just said, it's they they fall in love with stuff like 40 times and they're like, oh, he's really fast. So he's going to be, it's like that. Go watch him play. Right. Is he better than this other dude at playing right. football? Right. Yeah, he's faster than him, but he, can he play better? Does he have better right. instincts? Does he understand coverages better? Does he read, you know, coverage better? Does he throw more accurate? That's why Bill Belichick succeeds so much because he understands. No, Mac Jones runs a a, a six something forty, but he's <laughs> accurate as hell. Yeah. Right, right. He yeah. knows how to read coverages and get rid of the ball, and he puts the ball where it's supposed to be. Yes, I'm going to draft him over some dude who has an amazing forty time at quarterback. Right, That's right. a smarter decision. Right. Yeah, I agree. You are, you now, are now listening, listening to. to 